0: Oh God, our Father, you are a good, good Father, and you look down upon your children, and you smile because you love us, and you are proud of us, and God, um, we sometimes fail, and we stumble along the way, and uh, of course, we know that you see that. And perhaps we even sense some disappointment at times. But God, we know that you are there with open arms, always waiting like a good father to call us back, to welcome us. I pray this morning, Lord, as we talk about what it means to rightly relate to you and to nourish that relationship with you. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us each. We each have something we need to hear in the only way that you can speak, in that still small voice that you've put within each of us, God. I pray this morning that you make it just a little bit louder, and turn up that volume just a little bit, and bring us to you once more. We pray this in Christ's holy name, amen. So um, this morning, this sermon has three parts to it, very simple. Uh, there is the, the what and the why and the how, okay? The what, the why, and the how. And we're talking about prayer. We're going to be talking about, about prayer for a number of weeks now. Uh, and so we're going to start with, well, what is prayer? A very basic sort of question, I know. Um, but I love the fact that our disciples um, who often kind of go bumbling about in the New Testament, in the Gospels at least, uh, and and they they have this charm about them where they ask the simple question. And so this morning from Luke 11, we saw one of these where uh, Jesus is praying and one of the disciples comes up and says, hey, Jesus, um, can you teach us to pray, right? It's a very simple and basic question, And then Jesus gives us what is the most famous prayer in all of history. He gives us the Lord's Prayer, right? Now, you might have uh, read it this morning or heard it this morning, read, uh, and thought, well, that's not the whole thing, and and sure enough, actually, Luke 11 is uh, slightly different than what we find in the Gospel of Matthew, not so different that they're different, but that uh, Matthew's is maybe a little fuller, and it's probably closer uh, to what you know of as the Lord's Prayer and what uh, what Jeff, rather, uh, recited uh, earlier in the service. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, however, begins really with just one word. So Jesus is asked, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. That's how Luke tells it. Now Matthew's going to say, our Father. Differences, there, are uh, inconsequential. The point is that we come to God and we say, Father. Right? Father. Now, before we get into this, I I understand that the metaphor of a father can be tricky for some. Some of you did not have loving fathers. Some of you may not still have loving fathers. And if that's you, you might need to transfer the metaphor some and think of someone else, perhaps. Maybe it's an uncle, maybe an aunt maybe a grandpa or grandma, or maybe it's a smattering of people who played the role a father should have played in your life. But one way or another, God as father is a father as we should expect all of our fathers to behave, and we are expected to behave as fathers. I'll say this. Of all the titles in my life, and I've had a few, uh, whether it's pastor or professor or coach or what, my favorite title is dad, right? Well, it's right up there with honey, um, but, uh, you know, it's vying for first place, right? Uh, dad. I love being a dad. And I remember her that when Ezra was born 15 years ago, in 2008, I changed, (laughs) like he came into the world, but weirdly, I changed. And so becoming a dad changed me in a few ways that I just kinda wanna share, and I think some of you will resonate with this, and if you're kids or or you just don't have children either yet or or will, um, perhaps you'll be able to resonate with some of what I'm saying here, and that is that when I became a dad, I grew in love, we'll say. At least like my heart in my chest felt bigger, right? And the and the pride and the emotions that I felt, they, they welled up a little easier and, and I got, you know, a little teary-eyed a little quicker than I used to before. And and I would find myself getting proud of like the smallest and perhaps dumbest things and, and, and or the maybe the simplest things at all. So like your child walks. And you're like, oh my goodness, this kid is gonna be the next Aaron Rodgers or uh, you know, uh or or my my child starts talking and I think, ah, oh, she's a genius. Uh look at look at what we've birthed. Uh she's a she's next Einstein, right? Uh I can remember very clearly when we had uh Ezra and I it's that especially the the first child you you just don't know how to behave as a, a parent quite yet, and uh, and I, I went to like all my friends. And we had these pictures made, and and I remember th- like saying silly things like, "Isn't my child the most beautiful child like you've ever seen in your life?" Uh, and they're all like, "Yeah, sure, okay," <laughs> but he was to me at the time. <clears throat> I really I should probably finish that, and then I had. And then I had Lizzie, <laughs> and then Asher came along, and then it was, it was just a three-way tie at that point for the, for the most beautiful kids that have ever entered this world. Uh, that, that's what I meant. Uh, so I grew in love, I grew in pride, uh, I grew in responsibility, you know what I mean? Like so you have a child, and then suddenly you, you realize like, oh wait, I'm an adult here. <laughs> I need to care for this child. I need to take care of them. I, I should probably earn some money so that like I can feed this child. I, I should tend to this child's needs, right? Uh, and so suddenly, you're growing in a sense of like responsibility. They're looking to me for answers, for you know basic necessities, these sorts of things. I grew in, in my passion. Uh, I was over the moon for my kids, all three of them, right? I would do anything. For these kids. And then, perhaps most surprising, uh, is that I grew in uh, what I'll call anger and justice, uh, and not so much at them, right? Okay, don't, but for them, or, or when things would happen to them. Right now, if you know me, I'm a pretty cool, calm, and collected kind of person, uh, and I don't get frazzled too easily. And uh, this was certainly true uh, back in 2008 and and before that. And then uh, I I remember, uh, so Ezra was born, and it might have been like at some point in preschool, and there's some kid who's picking on him. And it was said, I saw this side of myself that just like came out, and I call it the Papa Bear. uh, And I was like, why am I so angry right now? Uh, and, and I feel like an, an injustice has been done to my child. Uh, I need to protect this child, right? And so there's like this, this instinct that comes out uh, in being a father. And so I raise all these things to say that when Jesus starts his prayer and he says, Father, the metaphor itself speaks volumes. And I think it's fully okay to jump headlong into what that metaphor might be getting at when we call God our Father. And so when we ask the question, what is prayer? And Jesus starts with Father. It tells you a lot about the God that you're speaking to. And it tells you a lot about the nature of the relationship that is anticipa- anticipated between you and God, in just a few ways. I, I think the relationship implies an intimacy, an intimacy. We address God, importantly, not in certain ways. Jesus does not say, oh, your majesty, right? Despite the fact that God is the king of all the universe, right? We could have started this way. We could have said, oh, king, uh, you know, I humble myself before you. And we'll get there next week, actually. There is a a certain um, hallowedness that we should keep in the midst of all this. But this week, we're talking about God as father. And it implies an intimacy. We don't call God chief justice or master. We address God as Dad. First and foremost, God wants our intimacy. God wants relationship. The second thing I'd say is uh, that by calling God Father, it implies that God is invested in you. You, the individual. All of the things I just said about being a dad and, and my own children and the ways that it changed me, I think all of this applies to the way God looks upon each of us as our Father. It suggests that his love is there and his pride is there for us. That he has this sense of responsibility to make sure that we're safe and secure. His passion for us is there. And even his anger and justice when things don't go our way or when injustice happens to us. God is inflamed with a righteous anger for each of you. And so when we pray, we pray, Father. And the father that shows up is that kind of dad. Now, it also implies uh, that God is is strong and and powerful, much like a, a father and a child relationship. It's a little bit like when your kid comes to you and says, Hey, Dad, here's the pickle jar. I can't open it. Can you? Right? And we come to God and we say, hey, God, I, I, I can't do this thing, but I think you can. I think this is in, within your reach, right? Or like a few days ago, Asher had a new toy, and like within a day, he comes to me, and it's broken in half, and he says, I can't fix it. <laughs> can you fix it? And I was like, I actually don't know, uh, but I'm going to try and I'm going to see if I can figure out a way, and I could, and I fix it, right? But he couldn't, and much in the same way, we often go to God with the big God-sized problems, and we say, God, I can't do this. I I can't handle this on my own, but I need you to, and I need you to show up, and I need you to fix the thing that I can't fix, and to do the thing that I can't do. I think this father relationship also implies that we have a role model. The relationship between a parent and a child is one where the parent must impart wisdom and help that child grow in maturity. And when we approach God, we approach God seeking wisdom. We seek his guidance. We know that God knows best and that I am willing to walk in his ways, not in my ways. Now, I know that the parent-child relationship doesn't always work that way, right? And sometimes we try to tell our kids to do certain things, and then sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And it's not all that different with God, is it? Like, there are things that I know I should do, and then God is saying, well, I don't know about that. Uh, It's probably not the wisest, Eric. Uh, And sometimes I listen, and I say, you're right, God. Show me a better way. And then sometimes I strike out on my own, and it does often lead to striking out, which gets me to the final point uh, of this section. Don't worry, we're not at the end. (laughs) Uh, It implies obedience. It implies obedience. Now, quite literally, this is like one of the Ten Commandments, right? Obey your parents or honor your father and your mother. And again, it's not all that different with God. We come to God, and God anticipates and needs from us, for us, our obedience. So what is prayer? Above all, prayer is intimacy with the Almighty. It is the walking in the garden with God for Adam and Eve. It is the speaking with the Lord face to face as with a friend that Moses experienced on Sinai. It is Jesus in the wilderness communing with the Father. It is, at its heart, relationship. Point number two, why pray? Why pray? There's any number of things I can say here. um, And I want to tell you uh, the two things in two Different ways. Uh, one is through a story uh, from a book I'm going to introduce momentarily, and the second has to do uh, with the blower that's sitting in my garage. <clears throat> Let's start with the story. Uh, this is a parable about a greyhound uh, that I quite liked and I resonated with, and so I thought I'd read it to you goes like this, the tranquility of Guildford's picturesque cobbled high street was shattered one sunny morning by the yelping of a dog and a strange metallic clattering. Suddenly, a crazed greyhound came scrabbling around the corner with its whippet tail between its wild legs, weaving between shouting shoppers, frantic with fear the dog was being hotly pursued by one of those cheap chrome bistro chairs attached to the other end of the dog's leash. The chair seemed alive, like a dancing snake, weaving and flailing, striking and biting at that terrified animal's rear. Perhaps the dog's owner was unaware of the pet's plight, innocently waiting for coffee at some nearby shop. A movement must have made that chair twitch, which had made the dog jump, which had made the chair leap, which had made the dog scamper, which had made the chair pounce, which had made the dog yelp, which had made shoppers shout, which had made the dog run even more frantically. Pursued all the while by this terrifying piece of metal and these crowds of screaming, grabbing strangers. The faster the dog ran, the wilder the chair's pursuit became. The higher it bounced, the harder it pounced, the louder it banged and clanged and zinged on the cobbles. For all I know, that dog is running still. We can all live our lives a lot like that demented greyhound, driven and disoriented by irrational fears, pursued by entire packs of bloodthirsty bistro chairs, Too scared to simply stop. And so God speaks firmly into the cacophony of human activity. The master commands the creature to sit. Jesus rebukes the storm. He makes me lie down, as the famous psalm puts it. Of course, we find it intensely difficult to obey, but as we do so, perspective is restored terrors turn back into bistro chairs. I have found this to be true on a um, personal level. I don't know about you, but any number of days, I might find myself being chased by what I think is a devouring animal behind me. And it's only when I start my day and a slow in a slow and intentional way that i actually look behind me and realize all along it's just a bistro chair it is not going to devour me and i am okay but unless i stop unless i pursue god in the quiet of the morning i might get off to a frantic pace where I keep thinking to myself, there's something chasing me, there's something chasing me, there's something chasing me, when all along it is nothing more than a bistro chair. All right, that's story number one. Story number two <clears throat> is uh, that in my garage sits a, um, a blower. It's a battery-operated blower. Uh, I think Laura and I, we often mind meld on ideas here, and this is one where we're definitely, so it's a, ba- a, a battery-operated blower and I love this thing because it's the size of something that uh, Asher, uh, as small as he is, can actually hold uh, and do quite a lot of good work with, right? And so uh, after the mowing, sometimes Asher might even go- be able to go out. He rarely does, but, you know, uh, usually it's me. And, uh, and I go out and I, and I blow the grass off my driveway or my patio or whatever. Um, however, there's a routine experience that uh, is really what happens, which is the battery's not been... Plugged in, and um, it turns out you have to plug in the battery and charge the battery in order to use the machine. So I, I I put the battery in the machine, and the weird thing is, it's not like it doesn't work. It actually does work. It's just instead of blowing like a lot of air, it blows like less than you know what you might dry your hair with, right? And so you can blow like two leaves at a time, which is useless. Um, But it's working, sort of, right? I've begun to think of my morning prayer routine much like this, where if I don't plug in in that morning time, I can go throughout the day and I will make it through to the end, right? But will I be as, dare I say, effective? Will I have the same life coursing through me? Of course not, right? And so why pray? A core Christian principle is that we desire eternal life, right? Eternal life. But what we're talking about there, in a way that I think words often fail to capture, is that prayer is participation in eternal life because we find ourselves in the presence of the author of life and the sources of all life. Genesis tells us that God blows the breath of life into Adam's lungs, animating him and giving him life. Or as Job says, The Spirit of God has made me, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Or as Paul says in the book of Acts, and God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And so why pray? Well, because when we do, we are connecting ourselves to the source of all life. What more reason do we need? Number three, how then do we pray? How then do we pray? Well, I'm so glad you asked this question, and it just happens to be the title of a book that's sitting out in the narthex right now so that when you leave, there's a resource waiting for you. And I should say, uh, this summer, I have done a lot of spade work uh, to find uh, this gem right here. I blew most of my book budget this summer on a bunch of books on prayer, and I tried to read through a lot of them, and I was starting to give up. Uh, well, until Stephanie Yingling mentioned, "Oh, here's one more book," and I, I almost didn't buy it because my book budget by that point was pretty much gone. And and then I did, and I was so glad that I did. Um, I hope you enjoy this as much as I have. I think it's filled with wisdom. I think it's filled uh, with an, an ease to it. And I think he, uh, he encapsulates that, um, that what we have is actually not just like one directive, that is to pray, but we're offered an assortment of tools, right? What he gives us is a tool bag full of ways to pray, ways that I think work for each of us in slightly different ways. There is a, uh, perhaps a, a screw sitting in one of your walls right now that needs to come out, and while you could take the back of a hammer and, and yank that thing out, right, and you'll leave a hole in the wall in doing so, uh, it sure would be a lot better if you took a screwdriver and just, you know, slightly turn that thing a few turns and then it comes out, right? And what I think he offers us is an assortment of ways in which we can approach God, ways in which uh, we can build that kind of relationship that I talked about in the first part of this with God, such that our faith is deepened and we become intimate with the Almighty. So with this book, and the question, how to pray, I want to leave you with four, four things here. One thing he says over and over again that I quite like and I think is really good advice is keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up. That is, is really what we're talking about there is just habit development, right? Like, just do it on a regular basis. Keep it up. But also keep it simple. Like, you don't got to make this more difficult than it needs to be. And importantly in there is keeping it real. Don't fake it. We, we, we don't need a bunch of faking. You can be honest with God. I assure you God knows what you're thinking anyway. And so you may as, be, may as well be as, as real as possible. Number two, uh, he offers us uh, his routine. It's actually one that I quite like and I've, I've adopted for myself. And it goes like he has three parts to his day. He calls them three meals in the day which I liked, and that is he has an early morning routine where he spends some time in silence and in meditation and the reading of God's word, and, uh, and this is how he starts his day, right? And it's the, the charging of that battery that I talked about. And then midday, he sets an alarm, I think, and I, I think that's probably a good idea. He says the Lord's Prayer. And now some days, uh, what he does is he, uh, he will slow down if he's got the time. He'll slow down, uh, and he will uh, say, our Father, who art in heaven. And then he'll riff on that and he'll say, God, I am so pleased to be able to call you Father. Thank you for loving me like a father loves me. right?" And, and then he'll pray uh, the prayer in that way and then he'll move on to the next line. Hallowed be thy name. You are a holy God. And I love that you as a holy God, perfect and almighty and, uh, and set apart You have reached down from heaven and you have yanked me out of the miry clay that I'm in and that you've pulled me up, right? And then he keeps going. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, right? God is not my kingdom, it's your kingdom that I want to come. So some days he does that. Other days he's got 30 seconds to work with and he just knocks out the prayer and it's part of his routine, right? And it's that simple. The third one is one that I've been working on lately. Some days I do it, some days I don't. I try to be non-judgmental about the whole thing. Uh, and I get to the end of my day, and I'm laying in bed next to my beautiful wife, and it's dark, and I'm trying to settle my mind. I'm trying to just fall asleep. And uh, he, he calls it a prayer of examine, which uh, dates back to a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. And all he does is it's actually quite simpler than, than you might think. It's a review of the day. And you're aiming to do two things. You're aiming to confess. And you're aiming to show gratitude. And so you start with how you woke up. God, I woke up this morning and you gave me a beautiful day. It's rainy outside, I know. But it's fall. And it feels really good. And I give you thanks for that. And then you march through your day and, and you think, God, I, I snapped at my wife this morning and, and I, I probably... Uh, need to uh, ask her forgiveness for that, and, um, and I, I ask for your forgiveness right now, God. Uh, and then you keep going through the day, and you're aiming at, again, gratitude and confession, right? Gratitude and confession. So he gives us his routine. These are the three meals of his day, and he tries to hit most of them, and uh, I would encourage you to maybe not bite off all three of those. Maybe just start with one, right? It depends on where you are, I guess. Uh, Maybe it's just the one. Uh, But maybe it's two. Or maybe you're at a place where you can add a third. Or maybe it's another point in the day where you think, I I need to talk to God uh, at this point in my day on a routine basis. The third piece of practical advice that I want to offer to you, actually third and fourth are pretty simple. The third one, I'd ask that you pray for a neighbor. I said a few weeks ago that our goal this year is, one of them is, is neighboring, learning to engage our neighbors. And so I would encourage you, as you cultivate your prayer life, that one piece of that just simply be, pick one neighbor, right? Who's that one neighbor that on a daily basis or a regular basis, you are praying for that one person? And then fourthly, you might have got it as you came in. Uh, you can get one as you went out. As you go out, uh, it's uh, a prayer journal, and we got these for you. They have the South Run name on it. Uh, it says something like "Always oh, start with prayer." Or I forget exactly what it says on there, but um, what was it? But first, pray. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a great way uh, to record what is on your heart on a given day, uh, where God answers those prayers. Or maybe where you see God moving you in a different direction, right? Last thing I want to say um, is you might be asking me, like, what am I hoping for from our church and from the the coming weeks that sit before us? Um, I I'd say just a few things, and I will make this very brief here, but. I really desire that we be a church that is growing in intimacy with God. That we be a church that on a daily basis, in our own prayer closets, and sometimes corporately together, we are seeking that relationship with God. We are growing it. I hope for um, that we be a people who are on fire for the things that God cares most passionately about. The only way to know what God cares passionately about is to pursue God. Whether in prayer or in the reading of his word or in the communion of the saints together, my prayer is that we be a people who are on fire for the things of God. Thirdly, my hope is that we be a church that has our eyes on God and off of our own petty needs and concerns. And I'll just say it like that. Too often, we get wrapped up in our own petty needs, our own petty concerns. And they might feel like those monsters chasing us until we turn around and we realize, oh, yeah, it's, it's just that bistro chair again coming after me, and it's time to let that go. Lastly, I'd say this what do I hope for? My big hope over the coming year is for faith. This is the word that has come back to me again and again and again. It's my hope, my personal hope too, uh, by the way, that my own personal faith is growing on a daily basis so that it's bigger And bigger. And by that I mean that I am trusting God in larger and more important ways. I am stepping out in faith in new ways that a year ago I may never have felt good about. And two years ago I wouldn't have either. And ten years ago I couldn't even imagine. That is my hope, is that we as a church are growing in faith. If faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains and this is what Jesus says. Can you imagine what all these mustard seeds together would add up to? I think this is what we see in the book of Acts. It's a bunch of mustard seeds that have gathered in strength together. And then in Acts 4:31, We read this, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of the Lord with boldness. They prayed and the ground was shaken. I will not be satisfied with our prayer life here at South Run Baptist Church until the ground is shaking underneath us, because the Holy Spirit is coursing through this place. Let us pray together. God, our Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, giver of all life, you have entered this place. You dwell here with us. You desire to speak to us. God, we are open to your calling this morning. We open our hearts to you, God. Lead us and guide us and direct us in your truth. And God, give us the strength and the boldness and, yes, Lord, the faith to walk where you would have us go. God, I give you thanks for South Run Baptist Church, the communion of saints that is here, for the encouragement I find in my brothers' and sisters' faces around me, for the ways in which they have bolstered my faith. God, I pray that we be a people who encourage one another in prayer and in the reading of your word, that, yes, Lord, when we come together, the ground is shaking underneath us because you are moving mightily. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we've got one final song to sing. Uh, Let's stand together. This one is called Lord, I Need You. I woke up this morning singing this song in my head, and now we get to sing it together.